At one time or another, we've all heard the saying, make one little mistake and you're labeled for life. Well, who knows where that expression came from, but if you found out one day it originated with Jesus' disciple Thomas, you wouldn't be surprised. Because whatever else Thomas did as a disciple and then an apostle, it was the time he did not believe the story that Jesus had risen from the dead that forever labeled him as Doubting Thomas. Well, today on Groundwork, we'll dig into that story and a few other things in John 20. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we are in the third program of a fairly short four-part series on the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. We looked at the immediate things that happened right after he rose from the dead in Matthew, Luke, and John. We looked in the previous episode at the well-known Road to Emmaus story from Luke 24. And now today we continue with a couple incidents in John 20. We talked about this in the first episode, Scott, where you would expect that there would be so much to write about and a lot of things that they would say when it came to the resurrection. But I mean, it's unlike the crucifixion because every gospel has great detail on what happened at the crucifixion, Mm -hmm. making sure that you knew this is the savior who passed away, who died, who suffered for our sins. But in this situation is basically we got the essentials only. We have enough just for the faith, just for us to believe. So they don't go into great detail. No, there just aren't 40 days. Jesus was on the earth, we're told, between the resurrection and the ascension. 40 days, but not much there. But a lot of what we do have, uh, most of what we have actually, comes from the end of John. And in our final episode in this series, the next episode, we're going to look at John 21. Today, we're going to look at a couple things from John 20. So we'll dig into that now, starting at John 20, verse 19, where we read, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So this is actually the evening of the first Easter day here. And they had already gotten reports from Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and these women. It seems like, I mean, at that point, they did not believe Mm -mm. really what those people were saying. And so they actually had this account where Jesus physically appears to them. And this really was a shock to them, I believe, for them to see Jesus in person and be astonished by his presence in the moment. Yeah, we were told earlier in this chapter that uh, after Mary Magdalene said she had seen Jesus, Peter and John kind of had a foot race to the tomb. They got there, looked in. Yep, Jesus wasn't there. And then we're told they just went home, scratching their heads. What's going on? But oddly enough, they didn't seem to go out looking for him after that either. And now flash forward a few hours, they're in a room with all the doors locked out of fear, they said, fear of the Jewish authorities. They, they maybe thought they ganged up on Jesus. Maybe they're going to gang up on us now too. So it's sort of an odd place to find them, having been told twice that he was alive, having seen for two of them at least that indeed the tomb was empty and weirdly enough, all the burial wrappings were neatly folded up, which didn't look like grave robbery. And yet, they're locked in a room full of fear. Let me ask you a question about that fear, Scott. So 
It says that they were in there in fear of the Jewish leaders. Do you think that the Jewish leaders thinking they stomped out this movement because they had the quote unquote founder Jesus killed, that they would really be worried about these disciples at that moment? I believe that if you stump out the leader, then these other ones are going to scatter. You're not going to have to worry about it. But they were in the room because they were afraid of these Jewish leaders. What do you think about that? Frederick Buechner, a well-known author and, and pastor, he thinks that they were more afraid of running into Jesus himself <laughs> since they had all abandoned him and Peter had denied him three times. They all swore up and down, no, 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 we're, we're going to stay with you. And they just, you know, fled like scared children the moment Jesus got arrested already. Only the women uh, seemed to have shown up most of the uh, at the cross itself. So, uh, yeah, probably there's no evidence that the Jews were after the disciples because, indeed, without Jesus— there were a lot of messianic wannabes back then. And when they rubbed out the leader, everybody else scattered and it was game over. And indeed, that had already started to happen to the disciples too. So I don't quite buy that they were afraid of the Jews. Maybe they were afraid of running into Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, mom and dad told you to get the chores done before they come home. <laughs> when they come back, they find that you haven't done the chores or you see them pulling up and you try to act like you're really busy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that if they would have been about doing the work that Jesus called them to do, they wouldn't have had a reason to be afraid. But in this situation, I mean, even scripture says that they were scared of these Jewish leaders. But if they were faithful with what God was doing, they wouldn't have had to fear them either. All right. But without touching a locked door, without anything opening, Jesus pops into the middle of the room. Shalom, he says, peace to you. Shows them his scars and his hands and his side. And so they now know this is the same guy. This is the same man, Jesus, our master, our Lord, who we watched die three days ago. And so finally, finally on that Easter evening, fear gives way to joy. I hope somebody thought later to apologize to Mary Magdalene for not believing her. Don't know whether they did or not, but they did owe her an apology. But this wasn't an easy thing to believe in their defense. So I find it very interesting, Scott, that Jesus is identified by his scars. Mm. And so, I mean, Isaiah says that he was an unassuming man and that no one should desire him. His appearance was pretty much regular. He would probably blend it into the crowd. He didn't stick out. And so the fact that he has these scars now, they could identify him. Oh, this is the one that had his side pierced. This is the one that had the nails in his hands. It's got to be him. So they positively identified him by his scars. And those scars remain with him to this day. Yep, they are the scars of our salvation. He was pierced for our transgressions. He just referred to Isaiah. So there he is, and they believe that it's the same man, and so they're full of joy. But then before this uh, encounter with the risen Jesus is finished, we get kind of a, Daryl, kind of a preview of Pentecost. Jesus wishes them shalom or peace again, and then we're told he, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And then says, because of this, you have power to forgive sins. If you forgive people's sins, God will. If you don't, God won't. That's going to be a power that I'm going to be giving to you by the Holy Spirit. But this isn't Pentecost yet, though, Daryl. So how do we understand this part of the scene? I heard different teachings on what this means. This is not Pentecost. You see that their behavior, even in the next chapter, doesn't show that they have this regenerate 
behavior or this boldness that they can go and preach. I believe that this was him giving them the authority Mm -hmm. to forgive sins and to not forgive sins. But also you see in Acts 2 where the full manifestation will come. This is kind of like a coming attraction. It's just like a preview. But they will be filled when that happens. But the fact that Jesus is alive and that he gave them authority in this moment is really what teaches us that ordinary people can do powerful and extraordinary things with this power. Indeed, they do. And so we get this little Pentecost preview. It'll be 50 days before the Spirit is fully poured out and they get transformed. But for now, uh, we see where the source of their authority is going to be, as you just said, Daryl. But then there's one little detail, a little shoe to drop here that we're going to find out next, and that is that one of the remaining disciples, Thomas, he missed the meeting. He wasn't there. And what happens next is going to what uh, will lead to poor Thomas being forever known as Doubting Thomas. And we'll look at that next. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. We're in John 20 in this third episode of a four-part series looking at some of the very few incidents we have in the Bible of Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And uh, we get a lot of that from John, John 20, and then the next program, the final program, John 21. But Daryl, let's uh, dive right back in and pick up the action at verse 24. All right, it says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I just thought of this when you were reading it, Daryl, that the doors were locked. Now, we were told the week earlier they were locked out of fear of the Jews. Uh, Probably they aren't afraid of the Jews anymore, but they still lock the doors. I almost sort of think, you know, it's like when you want to do a magic trick and you want to duplicate the conditions. It's like, hey, Thomas, Thomas, watch. This is how it was last week. We're going to lock all the doors and then Jesus will pop right in. You'll see. But anyway, Thomas doesn't believe them initially. You know, there are sometimes liberal theologians, people who really doubt or deny that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Sometimes you'll hear them say that, you know, these disciples 2,000 years ago, pre-scientific, pre-modern, they were naive. They were just bumpkins. They'll believe anything. Uh, of, Of course they'd believe somebody could come back from the dead. They were naive. But that's not true according to the Bible. Yeah, just two things, Scott, that came up. One was that you just mentioned that he came in the locked doors. Mm-hmm. And I 
Love the fact that God is not restricted by locked doors or locked hearts. Yes. He can appear in those different powerful places. And then the second thing you just said about liberal theologians is kind of a modernist thought mm-hmm. where logic and reason are king. And if you cannot figure your way there or pragmatically, empirically get your way there, yep. then it doesn't make any sense. And so because we thought we were more sophisticated than these Bible people, I mean, everybody knows dead people don't come back. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. You don't need any science to teach you that. You don't need you just grandma's not here anymore. So so it doesn't mean that they were easily naive, naively manipulated because they didn't believe. It just means that they have brains and they're using them. It doesn't you don't need science to understand that. thought. You can't blame Thomas. I probably wouldn't have believed it either, Daryl, if I had been there. Maybe you wouldn't have either. Uh, This is. A weird story. Somebody back from the dead. They knew Jesus was dead as a doornail. People don't survive crucifixions. Jesus sure didn't. Uh, he'd been embalmed and buried, and that's it. So they say, no, nah, Thomas, really, he's back. And Thomas is right. Yep, yeah, fine. I'll tell you what. If I run into Jesus and see his scars, I'll believe. In fact, tell you what. So he kind of keeps moving up to the next level. Tell you what. If I can stick my fingers in the nail holes and stick my whole hand in the side where the sword pierced him, then I'll believe. Otherwise, guys, no dice. I'm not going to believe you. So, I mean, I love the fact that Thomas is looking for hard evidence. Mm. I think we come down on Thomas a little too tough, man. And yeah. he, he wanted some proof. Who doesn't want proof? Who has never said to God, can you prove this? Or said to their Christian friend, can you give me some evidence for this? So he wants to engage his mind. He wants to understand. And he wants exactly what he needs to help his faith to be complete and to be healthy so that he could understand what God is doing. So I don't think it's a problem that he doubted in that situation. He just wanted some more proof. I mean, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe God can and does work miracles. And yet every once in a while, we hear a story at church, and I was like, oh, remember Marge? She was in the hospital, and the doctor said she'd be dead in a day. Totally healed. Totally healed. They have no explanation. You know, and you know, you sort of think, oh, that's great. But deep down, you say, really? Maybe it's just a coincidence. You know, maybe the doctors were wrong. I mean, we don't believe miracles that easy, even today. So you can't blame Thomas. So he missed the meeting. They tell him about it. He says, no, no way. Not until I see him and can poke my fingers in his nail holes. Flash forward one week. Again, same thing. Doors locked. Thomas is there. Jesus shows up and said, okay, Thomas, here you go. Poke away. You know, stick your fingers here. Do whatever you want. I'm here for you. But now Thomas doesn't want to do that all of a sudden. I love how Jesus gives Thomas exactly what he needs in order for his faith to grow. I believe that the fact that Jesus was willing to show him exactly what he needed, Mm. that was enough for Thomas. He's like, okay, my Lord, my God, I'm going to make a confession right here because I can understand it. There's nothing to hide. There's no conspiracy. There's nothing secret going on. Even though Jesus has given him exactly what he needs, he doesn't need to touch it. Because the scripture doesn't say he did put his hand on it. No, he didn't. The scripture says he confessed right after that. Seeing is believing, as they say. And that's what Jesus says to him next. Well, Thomas, I'm standing right here. I'm casting a shadow. (laughs) I'm warm. I'm alive. You can poke me if you want. But, you know, there are going to be a lot of people in the future, Thomas, who are not going to have your advantage, and they're going to believe too. So I want to speak a special blessing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 
Oh, yeah. So that's us, right? That's us. <laughs> that is where we actually make a sneak preview into the scripture. There's another place where we make a sneak preview into the scripture, and it's in John 17, where Jesus says, and those who come to believe through the message of the disciples, I pray for them. So I told my kids, just like your mom told you, that's us in the Bible. The God is including us right there. Yeah. Blessed are those who don't see, because we haven't seen physically Jesus. We haven't seen him, but we still believe in the message. Exactly. Yep. Lots of people have read this. And again, uh, you know, we read it as uh, devotions at the table and, uh, you know, mom and dad said, well, Jesus means us. And I thought, cool, I'm in the Bible. And then a few years later, I thought, oh, that was a childish thought. I'm not really in the Bible. And then I got a little older still and got into college and seminary. It's like, I came back to where I was as a kid. Yeah, you and I are in the Bible, Daryl. And that's great because what that points to, Daryl, is that the only reason we believe in Jesus today, even though we haven't seen him, we have not, we didn't even have a chance to see his nail holes or poke our fingers into him, but we have faith. And if we have faith, it's because we've been given a great gift, uh, the gift of faith by the Holy Spirit. And you know what, Daryl, without that gift, We'd all be doubting Thomas. I'd be doubting Scott. You'd be doubting Daryl. We'd have doubting Susan, doubting Betty. Without faith, the gift of faith, uh, we would not be able to believe. But with that great gift, we are. It's beautiful because we need that faith gift in order to give us hope in this world that there's a lot of bad things happening. Mm. It gives us the hope we need to know that God is going to not only set things straight, but give us the peace we need in the middle of the problem. And that is powerful. I know that John has one final thing that he'd like to say at the end of this chapter. And as we wrap up this program, we want to make sure that we can let you know what God is saying there for his disciples today. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. John has one last thing to say to us in John chapter 20, two verses. And as we're going to see, um, there's a slightly different version of the exact same thing at the end of John 21. But he, here is the last two verses of John 20, 30, 31. John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So when you read that, I was thinking about as a young Christian, what are those things? Yeah. I want I want the books. I want the other signs. I want everything. I want the exhaustive version of this. But it seems that John really didn't focus on all the things. Right. He just basically reported the good news that we needed to know for our faith to grow. And that's really powerful. They all have an agenda, I think, that each disciple, each gospel has a particular particular span, a particular point that they wanted to emphasize. And John's is right here. He wants us to believe. 
That's it. Yeah. You know, when you go to seminary, one of the first things you you learn is what is the nature of a gospel? What's a gospel? And one of the things you learn is that it's not a biography of Jesus, right? It's not an academic history of Jesus. Biographies and academic histories try to be exhaustive. They try to cover everything about a person's life. This is also not an encyclopedia of every last detail about Jesus. It's not a diary or a journal or a newspaper account that was written as the events of Jesus. Jesus unfolded. Nope. A gospel has an agenda, as you just said, Daryl. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all had an agenda. They were unapologetically grinding an axe. They included what they did. They edited, they shaped, they moved stuff around, they deleted some stuff, included some other stuff, so that we would believe. One simple goal, I'm including just enough to let you become a disciple. So this is a reporting of good news. Right. So when you watch the news and they give you a report that says just, just in, they're not going to give you every single detail of it. So I like documentaries, and documentaries try to give you everything. Right. This is not a documentary. This is a reporting of good news. And even though it was a few years after Jesus' death, these were the essential things they wanted to make sure that you knew so that you could believe. And that's really powerful that John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke— they all put together their gospel in a specific way so that you would know and you would believe. Right. And so if somebody had come up to John years ago and said, hey, John, you didn't include any of Jesus' parables. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they got about 36 parables. You didn't include any parables. Why not? And John would have said, because I didn't think I needed them. They were already in the other gospels. So I included other stuff that I thought would be helpful to make you believe. And that's important. And there's an interesting thing, uh, Daryl, in this verse, in verse 31, so that John says, I, I included what I did so that you may believe. But the Greek there is just a little ambiguous, or it can be read two different ways. There's another sense in which you could translate John as saying, not only so that you may believe, but so that you may keep on believing. Oh, yeah. you can keep on believing. So the ing is very interesting in Greek because it's a present continuous. So you're supposed to keep on going. It's like your lifestyle. It's like your steps. It's like your everyday walk with Christ. It's not just one incident. There's a particular verb for the crucifixion because it's one done for all. But there's also one for believing. And that is a lifestyle that as a believer, we're supposed to do that all the time, every day. And I think that's what John is hinting at with the ambiguous Uh, verb he's using for keep on believing here. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that John is the gospel, as I recall, I think I'm recalling this correctly, John is the gospel where whenever you read that, you know, somebody, Jesus says, believe in me, it's not really in, it's into yeah. Believe into me. And into also has that sense of ongoing, continuous present, as you said, ongoing. Believing is not a one and done thing right? Believing is every day. Every day you get up and you have to keep on believing. And that's not easy. You know, you watch the news and you get out of bed in the morning. Every day, the news of the day seems calculated almost to knock the stuffing out of your faith. This is not an easy world to believe that there's a Messiah who is ruling it as Lord. It's true. And when I think of the Lord's prayer, where it says, thy kingdom come, thy Mm. will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If that place where that kingdom is not come, To me, it's a faith statement for you to say that. It takes the faith that he gave us to sustain and believe through the things where the kingdom is not showing up, where there's a lot of war, where there's a lot of pain, where there's a lot of death, a lot of sickness. That's a place where the kingdom isn't there yet. 
And that it means we need to continue to live and pray in faith in order to allow God to show us how we can speak into that situation, how we can be change agents in that situation. But it's a faith statement to say that I came to come when you do see the kingdom is not fully manifested in a place. And that's the gift of faith we need. Exactly. Yeah, we've been talking about doubting Thomas in this episode, Daryl, and even even being a doubting Thomas, that can ebb and flow a little bit in our lives. There are times that things knock us off kilter, knock us off stride in our walk of discipleship, and we have become kind of doubting Thomas all over again for a season. But thanks be to God, he keeps sending that spirit. He keeps sending us the gift of faith to renew our faith when it flags, to reassure us in the truth of the gospel when we are in a season of doubt. That's just a a fantastic gift. And we need that gift each and every day. And we need to ask the Lord to continue to keep filling us with the hope that comes from the power of his Holy Spirit to help us believe. And then we see that, I mean, it's a down payment on that Mm -hmm. when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on his disciples when he comes back to them. And we need that breath each and every day. We need that breath each and every moment of our lives when we feel hopeless, when we see other people feeling hopeless, we can have the faith to believe in Jesus even though we have not seen him. We still believe. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we conclude our study of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances by examining his interactions with Peter and the other disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee as we find it in John 21. Connect with us now at our website, groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.